on, come on, come on, come on, not touch. Hey, your dudes, and sew your name patch on your jacket. It's time for the 27 Club, the world's only podcast about the group so exclusive you have to die to get in. Hosted by door number one, Pete, and door number two. Can I be door A? So it's sure, okay, fair. yeah. Door yeah. B, Pete. Door B, PJ. And we don't have a guest this week, which would be door C, and Bachelor, which one do you pick? Wait, we're both door B? No, I'm door I'm door B. <laughs> You're door A, because you wanted to be door A, I thought. I'm confused. Never mind. I wanted to be, you be door one, and I'll be door A. Oh, so got there's it. no okay. preferential and then there's, treatment. Yeah, and then there's door ampersand or something. Yeah, we can call yeah, it door Z. Gotcha. And- sure, door Z for the British audience, uh, the UK audience. And... Uh, and then yeah, the uh, uh, this is the dating game, the Doors dating game. Which would you like? Would you like Jim Morrison, a man who famously ate only beans for a summer? Would you like to date um, Ray Manzarek, a man who never knew how to play piano before he joined the Doors? Would you like to date Robbie Krieger, someone who is into Jose Feliciano, or would you like to date <laughs> the fourth guy who we know nothing about? <laughs> um, I'm gonna pick. Door number three, because I think sure. that uh, it just takes me back to that scene in Fargo where uh, it takes him to, or it takes the hooker to a Jose Feliciano concert. Yeah. That's which yeah. That's is maybe good. the funniest joke in any movie. <laughs> the fact yeah. that he's like really like yeah, Jose Feliciano. <laughs> he's like, oh, holy shit! What a good yeah. movie. It is a great movie, and made even better by the fact that Jose Feliciano fucking rules yeah he's so good yeah i love i i've only really heard like three or four songs probably but i love those three or four songs well so much one of them is uh feliz navidad of course sure feliciano navidado yeah the other one is his version of the star spangled banner that he played at a baseball game that he got booed about um and did he do Jimi hendrix but like flamenco guitar like just really really going crazy and trying to make it sound like this is acoustic fireworks. Have you never heard Jose no, Feliciano? No, I have not. I'm unaware. Let's let's get into it. Welcome to the show. We will talk about the band The Doors in just a moment and their famous lead singer, Jim Morrison, who ate a can of beans on the beach. Many times. But first, yes, but first, we have Fra- to... Beans from the beach to the roof. Ladies Summer. and gentlemen, your attention, please. Please rise and join in the singing of now, our national anthem. Now, who are the players? Who are the teams which will be playing this game? By Merle Albee's band and it's... will be sung by Jose Feliciano. No, 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 it's 1968. Oh, it's just sung by Jose Feliciano. And in 1968, wow. No, 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 it's not just sung by him. Oh, he is playing guitar, too. Okay. The announcer did not specify that. I'm into it, but it's good. I think I just love Jose Feliciano's voice. This is one of the better versions of the National Anthem I've ever heard. Yeah, it's a really good interpretation. Yeah. Pete and I both have our hats off on our hearts. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And our knees. Standing up and facing yeah. our neighbor's flags across the street. I, I went... 
But uh, people booed this. They did How not. How did I care never know that Jose Feliciano was blind? Did you learn that just now? I legitimately didn't know he was blind. I just Googled him because I wanted to see if he was an American citizen or not, because I thought it'd be kind of funny if they booed him, because they're like, you're not even American. (laughs) But... No, yeah, he's blind. Hmm. I know, and Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder get all the press. Yeah, for real. Yeah, for how many jokes are made about those guys. I mean, I know Jose Feliciano is not as famous, but still. They took out the booing. That's uh, I thought that was really excellent, actually. And uh, he was Pretty the good. fourth child of 11. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds like my kids. His first instrument was the accordion. That's cool. Uh, whose first instrument is the accordion besides Weird Al? Uh, oh, Joan from Mad Men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How weird is that? That is very strange. The accordion used to be like an incredibly prevalent instrument, which I think is hilarious. It's a super cool instrument. I love the sound of an accordion. Huh. Yeah, that's a... Some would say a hot take. Some would say a bad yeah. take, Pete. I would say an accordion played in almost any type of music that's not polka sounds really cool to me. Like okay. even an example. even talking about Joan from Mad Men. If you're playing like an Italian ballad type song with accordion okay. as the backing instrument, obviously I love Italians there. don't count. And then obviously the only the other place where I have a lot of accordion, where I've heard accordion a lot is there's this band I really like from New York called Chicha Libre. That's like it's a bunch of people from like a bunch of different. Um, latin american countries who are all musicians and they have an accordion player in the band and it's like they play like latin american fusion kind of music and they have an accordion player who rules and is very good so i like accordion in that context yeah it's apparently i i I only learned this when i got into that band and did some more research about like the types of music they were playing it's apparently can it's a big instrument in a lot of like smaller latin american folk genres so okay yeah is this accordion played through a fuzz pedal you know i was certain this song had accordion on it but now i'm not so sure (laughs) i think a lot of his (laughs) is this just gonna be the weird out podcast because we end up talking about him every week no matter what anyway I don't know. I don't want to be bait. Really? Anytime I listen to Weird Out, I just, I'm delighted. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, I feel like I was unaware he played the accordion from when I, we've talked about this before. My main Weird Out experience is watching YouTube videos as a, like, 10-year-old. Yeah. I was unaware he played the accordion, really, because I think most of his, like, later, later being, like, 90s and 2000s hits he does not play accordion on it was like he played it a lot in the 80s and then plays it a lot again now but like i yeah. think at least with a lot of his you know covers like this his parody songs he he played it a lot less like i'd be surprised if there's accordion on gangster's paradise you know i don't believe there is but i could have sworn there was accordion on this song i think i'm wrong maybe there is maybe there's a uh 
I'm maybe, waiting maybe for the there's a accordion solo. Instead I'm of waiting the, for the Eddie Van, Eddie Van Halen, Halen solo. solo. It's an yeah. accordion solo. That'd be really funny, actually. It's coming up. Weird Al's funny. No, they no. just have a guitar. Okay. Hmm. Well, now I'm looking up this band and I'm not seeing accordion credited, but I'm also not seeing an instrument that could possibly be the instrument that sounds exactly like an accordion on their music. So Is it a is it a, a melodica? What is Duovox? <laughs> this one was too easy. Like Al heard Poker Face and was like, are you kidding me? I've been waiting 40 years for a song this easy. I've been waiting for anybody to say poker in a song. It's a medley. Oh wow! So this isn't even a parody anymore, though. It's just well, he a did medley. start off as saying polka. First. I know, but now it's just a medley of polka versions, which is fine. So this is the accordion that he's the duo vox or whatever. This is an accordion. I think so. To me, sounds just like an electric organ. Is this them playing? Is this just like the album art? Is the video? Yes. Well, I agree with you there. Then. Um, it is cool that that's an accordion that he's playing though, and it makes that sound. It's an electric accordion. Yeah. Well, and if it's true that that is accordion on that one song, there's like a solo that's like played through a fuzz box. It, it was it was it's, him playing the solo. Okay. Yeah. It's really fucking yeah. cool. I've just never heard anyone play an accordion with effects on it and stuff. So that's yeah. yeah. I really like it's that. It's pretty cool. That band rules. Well, Pete, how are you? I'm good, man. It's uh, rain came back. Springtime is fun here at least. It turns out because we get like three days of almost summer weather where it gets you really jazzed for summer and then it rains for a week straight, so. That's like here, but with snow yeah. where it was yeah. like beautiful and melted yeah. and then it was like, actually, it's gonna snow for three yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. So we had a very fun weekend. Like literally we're, part of what Shelby's getting is like more patio furniture and we like got a bunch of stuff to like, cause it was so nice this weekend. So we're like, God, we gotta like be able to hang out outside in our yard and enjoy all that. And then like yesterday at 2 p.m., out of nowhere, tons of clouds, rain, and now it's supposed to rain for a whole week, so whatever. Uh, um, here's a little peek behind the curtains sure. for the listeners. I know you love our patented peek behind the curtains. Um, next week, I'll be visiting Peter, um, and we'll be doing our first in-person podcast yeah, that's since right. the Beach Boys Boys. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nuts, man, honestly. Yeah. We did all of the Stone Studs and a good percentage of the 27 Club. Yeah. Not uh not uh 
in person, which I know it's it's hard to tell because of my magnificent editing skills. But uh, I mean, honestly, um, yeah, I I listen to a lot of podcasts, and we are among the best up up to the most professionally produced podcast. We are among the best I've ever heard in terms of not making it sound as though we're doing this remotely. Yeah, it's, except for that one episode with Thomas. True. <laughs> but it's but that's also like delay-wise there wasn't really anything. It was just some sound quality cuz he was using his laptop mic. But yeah. like the delay thing we solved in a way where I guess I get why podcasts with like more people and everything can't do it it helps that we're just a two-person podcast but like we're really we we got it locked down here our methodology so it's patented and we are working on getting a u.s patent for it so if you want to use our our method then write us uh you can get in early you can pay a little bit and then become part of the patent team yeah yeah um yeah i mean you could also buy my uh audio editing course yes. $50 a month that's right um membership to the 27 club club included in, yeah, yeah it's inclu- it, you get a lot of benefits from mm-hmm. it we will give you 10 percent off at our uh, merchandise store that's which right. i just remembered is still a thing teespring um, no teespring teespring yeah, teespring right. and i don't know the link to it so I mean, who knows Nobody I think if you search knows. the Beach Boys boys. Did we did you make Rolling Stones <laughs> designs or is it just Beach Boys boys designs at this point? It's it's just Beach Boys boys but designs. But they're all great designs. Um, so if yeah, you want a cool looking t shirt, not even specific to the Beach Boys boys necessarily. Not all of them are. Some of them are just good there's Beach one, Boys designs. There's one that just says disco 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 tech mom. Exactly, which, which is fantastic. Yeah, I really liked that yeah. one. Um so, but yeah. I digress. Um, yeah, we'll see if there's a difference. We will. Yeah. All you eagle-eared listeners. I think there'll be a difference. I think we'll have, like every podcast that does a live episode after doing so many recorded ones, there'll be, you can just tell there's a different energy because you're in the same room, PJ. And it really, the energy of the podcast becomes really like the third character of the podcast, I would ah. say. Yeah. Yeah, I like when we get into that sleepover energy mode. Oh my god, don't even start. We're gonna record it late at night when we're all just a little loopy. Yeah. We'll be a little loopy. We're gonna be a little just... loopy. And you know what? There might be some randomness. Oh, there might my be god. some surprise we're... guests. One of our wives might just walk in on us podcasting. Ooh, oh no. I'm hey, hey, hey. I'm not married. <laughs> That's true. Oh I forgot Peter, how funny something... P- PJ, can I can we decide right now? This is and this is mean because this is gaslighting a woman without her consent, uh, just for our own joy. But how funny would it be if when you and your girlfriend visit Shelby and I, just the entire time, call her your, like pretend that you guys are married, and then refuse to acknowledge that you're not if she tries to correct us. Um, I think absolutely yeah, you should do that. Yeah. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, that would be hilarious. That's like when my wife, or when my wife, when my mom, Jesus. Um, oof, whoa, edible Oedipus complex. complex. Oh, my God. Are we talking about the end right now? Um, oh, man. Oh, my God. They call me Jim Morrison, mother problem. Anyway. Um, <laughs> when my mom first visited my dad's family, they they lived in a different state than, like, all of his, than his. It was actually technically, I think, just his brother 
and his wife and like their kids but they like went up there for christmas and then a couple other like members of the extended family came for like christmas day so it was kind of her first time meeting any of his extended family so they go up they are dating he has told his brother and his wife he wants to ask her to marry him but isn't like doesn't have like firm plans or a date but it's just like yeah i think i'm gonna ask her to marry me so like i want you to meet her and everything brings her up for christmas his sister-in-law his brother's wife immediately just starts talking to her she's not saying like you're married or i know you're going to get married but it's just immediately talking to her like they are going to get married and is like okay so now that you're in the family you're going to need to know this and you're going to want to know this and here's all of gary's favorite recipes like prints her out a <laughs> recipe book and shit like that and my mom's like i don't even cook like my mom was not a she did not enjoy cooking or baking or anything. And here's his sister-in-law handing her a recipe book of what she's supposed to cook him. And she's like, I don't, I'm just dating this guy. What is going on? <laughs> um, yeah, just ridiculousness. But that, I mean, printing somebody off a recipe book is the funniest thing you could possibly do. It's a very, uh, very freezing family thing. And what was funny too, so then after they got married, she got like... I think at their wedding, she got a couple recipe books too. My dad's family is German pre-Nazi. They moved over here in like 1890. Um, mm. But they're German. And so cooking's a big thing. And they're also like German Midwesterners where, I don't know, just cooking is a, a big thing for them. And having a lot of like traditional family recipes is a big thing. And so mm. they... So they like gave Speaking her of German cuisine. Yeah. Uh, the Wiener schnitzel in town closed. So. Oh, PJ, that's so sad. Where are you going to get know. your schnitzel? Or my wiener. Yeah. Um, I actually know a guy for that, but schnitzel, I can't help you. Okay. Um, <laughs> so she got a copy of, there was a Friesen family recipe book. So am I still bleeping your last name? Or? No, that uh, no. We said my full name like three episodes ago, I think, and it okay. didn't get caught, or or you didn't catch it on for, and it's fine. Anyway, so she got a copy of the Friesen Family Recipe Book, and then also like got on. There was like a mailing list to like share recipes and stuff, and all that. And she's just like, I literally barely know how to cook, and also she wasn't a stay-at-home mom. Like they both worked for like the first four years they were married. So, but she was being treated as though she was like cooking for her husband every night by the extended family. Mm. And then hilariously, apparently she started making the meals from this recipe book. Her, the sister-in-law gave her. And my dad was always like, why are you, I don't, I don't really like any of this food. Like, why are you making this? And she's like, this is your favorite recipe? And he said, no, I don't like this. Like, my, I don't really like my family's cooking. I like other types of food, like this other food. And so, yeah, it was very funny. Yeah, Where, I like, mean, just so German many cuisine, assumptions. Hit or miss. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's like, it's, really it's basically what is Midwestern cuisine now. Like a lot of casseroles yeah. and like, you know, white, white bread rolls and chicken and gravy and, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah. Just a lot of, a lot of pale foods and like canned vegetables, yeah. I think. That does remind me of something I wanted to bring up to you, Pete. What's up? Um, I feel like we are talking about our significant others too much on the podcast oh, okay and you know that's not inherently a problem sure. maybe we could start referring to them as our brothers or something oh, okay. but like i just want all of the single female listeners to think they have a chance so that's they keep true. listening yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah that's like in that thing you do 
where they try and hide. Careful, girls. He's married. Yeah, where they wanted to. Didn't they want to hide that or no? Did they want a married one? Now I forget. I feel like it was a conversation. Because he got mad because uh, they popped up a thing that said, Oh, right, right, right. He's engaged. But it was, yeah, because they were like, the publicity for that. We're not engaged. Yeah. 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 But wasn't it a thing? Um, That was an actual thing that they did with the Beatles. Yes. Okay. I was going to say there was a thing with some band. I was just thinking it was that thing you do, but. Um, yeah, which is great movie. Great movie, The Beatles, a fantastic movie. Um, that movie, The Beatles, uh, phenomenal. Some call it some call it Love Bug. Um, what was I saying? Oh, well, I was gonna say I, I. You can do what you want, PJ, and maybe you can be the single one. But I'm gonna continue talking about wife because I want to be as famous as Wife Guy, and so I, the Instagram Wife Guy. <laughs> I have no idea what you're uh, talking there's about. some guy on Instagram. This is a thing like maybe even two years ago now. And to be, I'm not on Instagram. So I'm aware of trends like way after they pee. I'm aware of trends at the same time as like your mom is aware of a trend on Instagram. My mom still posts minion memes. So. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. That's the level I'm at too. So there was some guy on Instagram who had a, some people would say overweight, but in, our oh, current I love my curvy wife guy. Yes, that's what I was, curvy wife guy, not just wife guy. Yeah. I was like, I know I'm not quite there, but I thought you knew what, you would know what I was talking about. So, oh. um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was so funny. yeah, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be the, uh, the 27 club wife guy. Okay. That, we can cut all that out for sure. <laughs> so let's, uh. Jump into the show. Let's start talking about the doors. So we have lots of, we have lots of doors to cover. We're in a weird spot with the doors because, like many artists that we talk about, not really in the Twenty Seven Club, but more like the Rolling Stones and the Beach Boys, their second albums are kind of usually not particularly well known or didn't do that well because usually yeah. second albums were rushed out by the label to capitalize on the success of their first album or to try and have a successful album if the first one wasn't super successful you know like yeah which is crazy now because a lot of people's best albums now are their second album usually yeah because it's like they they have money to produce Mm -hmm. it and they have like they've been touring on these songs for a while you know exactly so but we we kind of with the doors go back to that beach boys rolling stones thing where their second album was rushed out because light my fire was such a huge hit and the first album yeah. was such a huge hit uh, that Electra said, well, fuck, we got to get another album out there, guys. Come back in the studio. This is the out al- that album came out in January. They're back in the studio in like April. Um, but as we'll talk about later in the show, we'll talk about why it was kind of foreshadowed or overshadowed by the first album still, even though it, it came out to China, try and capitalize on that success. So. All that is to say, there's not actually a ton to talk about here. Like, we're only, like, four or five months after their first album came out when the second album comes out. Um, But I wanted to circle back and uh, cover some stuff from their first album that we kind of missed the first time around in our excitement talking about Beans and LSD. So (laughs) I just realized, very confusing if he's talking about dropping beans. Okay. Very confusing. Yeah. I'm dropping beans off the, the roof, roof or drop- on the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that could mean many things. You could be, yeah, yeah. damn. Throwing beans at, yeah. on passerbys on <laughs> Venice right. Beach? or So 
the first, his favorite activity would be to drop a bean and then take his spoon and get some beans on it and then flick them at passerby with the spoon. Yeah. yeah. Like a little catapult. We're dropping beans and dropping beans. So, you know I mean. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to start calling eating beans dropping beans. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of Light My Fire, as we talked about, it was written by Robbie Krieger, the, uh, the guitar player from the band when Jim didn't have enough songs written for the album. Uh, so he asked the other band members to throw some in if they had any. So it was apparently the first song Krieger ever wrote. He was told, hey, do you have any songs to contribute? And he said, I don't know how to write a song. So Jim said, find something universal to write about. So Krieger thought, universal, okay, let's break it down. The four elements, earth, air, fire, water. <laughs> this is, by the way, I love I love this approach for writing a song. And I kind of love that it worked, too. So yeah. he broke it down to the elements. And then he thought, okay, of those four elements, well, duh, my favorite current Rolling Stones song is Play With Fire, that piece of garbage off of, like, like Out Of song. Our Heads or whatever. Yeah. Play yeah. with me and play, play with, with It's not bad, but it's just wild for that to be his favorite Rolling Stones song in 1966. So I kind of get it. Anyhow. It's a good one. So he thinks, well, Play With Fire is my favorite Stones song, so I'll, I'll go ahead and write something about fire. And then he goes, um, oh, what was it? It was some song, I forget, it was some other song that he really liked at the time. Oh, Hey Joe. He was like, I really like the song Hey Joe. This is before Jimi Hendrix um, released his album, but it was a famous song from... Interesting. So inspired by two other 27 Yeah, exactly. So he thought, I like Hey Joe, so I'll just like steal basically parts of that melody. (laughs) Um, And then... He thought, well, most of our other songs are pretty simple. We're doing a lot of three-chord rock songs, and I want to write something more complicated. So I'll use every chord I know in this song, all 14 of them. So that's how come Light My Fire ended up being such a, like, you know, unique-sounding song, for lack of a better term. And that's how Robbie Krieger wrote his first song. Honestly, good for him. I know. Also... Apparently he, so I found a little bit more background about him playing classical guitar. I think you had mentioned on the last episode, you thought he had never played like electric guitar before joining the doors. Mm -hmm. I don't know that for sure, but I did find uh, like an interview with him where he was inspired. Apparently the Paul Butterfield blues band was after he kind of moved through the classical jazz flamenco world. He got a little bit into traditional blues as every white person in the world did in 1964, apparently. Of course. 64 yeah. or five. And first and really loved Paul Butterfield blues band and was inspired by them to pick up the electric guitar. Not sure if that was in conjunction with getting hired by the doors every, or not, but dude, Paul Butterfield, every like popular guitar player can like trace back to them listening to a, Paul Butterfield album and being yeah. like, yeah, I think I might start playing electric guitar. Like yeah. fucking everybody. Well, what's interesting too, this came up uh, on a Big Brother episode, but they played with Elvin Bishop and I yeah. was surprised to hear Elvin Bishop's name pre like 1973. Uh, apparently yeah. Elvin Bishop was the guitar player in Paul Butterfield Blues Band and I never knew that wow. before. Yeah. I never knew that Or at that least either. for a Damn. time. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if they were, yeah, if he swapped out at some point, but anyway, so that's a little background on Light My Fire. Hmm. Um, here's another interesting kind of note from that time. So remember they were first signed by Columbia and then pretty immediately they canceled the contract and then they got signed by Electra later on. 
in between that, even though they were playing the Whiskey A Go-Go, the Doors still needed a little extra cash. So they got this gig playing background music for a Ford Motors training video <laughs> called oh. Love Thy Customer. So they got wow. paid like 200 bucks or something and they just recorded instrumental, like they just instrumental did instrumental jams the whole time. And apparently if you listen to it, um, you can hear like parts of songs that are like, oh, that that like melody or whatever totally shows up later on in a Doors song, but it's just them, you know, jamming. So wait, do you want to listen to a little excerpt? Sure. Why the hell not? So this is not the doors. <laughs> Let's make that I imagine clear. this part is not. I, you... Day's adventure is better service selling. Selling attractive accessories for more pleasant drives. This is Ray Manzarek is playing this on his iPhone. Upgrading a free warranty adjustment to Ding. a needed tune-up. Might have justified some of our service personnel to shop more often. Instruction on the work. Back block. Sorry. Chew us out and more hours in the mm. stall. Now, the answer to all of this is straight ahead. First, we keep tab, and also we figure it out. In five-year period, the number of four oh, vehicles in one, this may make her feel that we think her little troubles, like the car stalling on railroad crossings, are rather petty. But that was no reason for her letter to call our man Itchy the Impatient. Beautiful. Wow. Customers will kindly... Oh, nuts. Give the creep a time. That, wow, that music does not fit with that at all. No. <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. Okay, so also... or So another another story from uh, recording their recording of their debut. While they were recording the end, uh, which, as you remember, we did talk about, they just did in two takes and used the second take. Um, yeah. During one of the takes, unclear whether this is the first one or the second one, but during one of the takes... They, to kind of get in the mood for this long jam that Jim was going to rap over and everything, they turned off all the lights in the studio and lit a bunch of candles to kind of get uh, get the mood lighting on. And then Jim decided to drop some LSD. Of course. Uh, so that he could really get in the zone for his cool rant. Um, so at a certain point, the band and Rothschild kind of noticed Jim was getting a little too far out there and a little too far gone. So they they decided to end the session pack up for the day and and call it um so after they left uh, there's a few different stories as there is with every rock and roll story we've ever talked about there's a few different versions of events about why he decided to go back but jim decided to go back to the studio and when he got there he sprayed the studio down with a fire extinguisher (laughs) ruining all of the band's equipment and like the mics and everything in the not like in the production side but in the you know studio side recording side yeah. yeah the recording side um so the next day they came in apparently immediately knew it was him just based off intuition but then they also found one of his boots in the studio <laughs> just one one shoe yeah you know what's um, leaving what's worse than leaving footprints yeah you're <laughs> leaving the whole boot. damn foot yeah so rothschild apparently was like it's gonna be okay let's calm down they were recording at a different studio that electro was paying to rent you know or sunset right. sound which electro was paying to rent so he was like, it's, it's okay. We're going to pay for it. Got Electra to cut a check. Um, and apparently they brought it up to Jim, like when he showed up that day and he was like, what me? No, no, there's no way. What are you talking about? And unclear whether he actually had no idea or, you know, was just playing, 
playing with them. His bandmates, though, this is a little foreshadowing for further on. His bandmates claim that this was an early incident that um, they think showed Jim that he could get away with a lot more now that he was a rock singer. So yeah, it'll it'll show uh, up in some some maybe bad behavior later on about what he can he can get away with. Jim Morrison, bad band. I know it's crazy. So pretty good. It's just so one of the stories about why he came back. One of the stories is that he came back just because he was like, no, I'm in the groove. I got to keep recording. So came back, saw like red lights from the console equipment on in the studio and was high enough that he went fire and grabbed the fire extinguisher and was like spraying it down. He was trying to do a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And then the other version is that his like girlfriend at the time was driving him home and he was just in the um in the passenger seat the whole time being like fire fire there's i gotta take it there's a fire i gotta take care of the fire like freaking out and being like we gotta go back we gotta go back so she was like okay fine we'll go back jim <laughs> and then went back and he just ran in the studio and just immediately started like grabbed the fire extinguisher and started spraying it down for like no reason huh. anyone could tell so well you know, I will say this in Jim Morrison's defense. He was trying to do the right thing. Yeah, Either right. way, he did think there was a fire. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, the Rolling Stones were just, like, just wrecking shit for no reason, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that Jim then, Morrison's okay. a good man, and I stand yeah, by that. That's right, yeah. My we're here to defend Jim Morrison's legacy yeah. until he probably hits a woman, and then, you know, but... I'm sure um, he has at this point already. You gotta think. Um... So also, Jim, we talked about his father being an admiral in the Navy and being pretty involved in like the Vietnam War and stuff and was curious whether that would come up. Well, it would have come up if I had done more research last episode, but (laughs) apparently when he started The Doors, he like at some point, you know, wrote a letter home to his parents, although I don't know where home was. I don't know where they were living at this point, but he was in LA, wrote a letter to his parents saying, I've started a band. I graduated. I ate beans. Yes, mom, I am eating beans. Um, Protein. Exactly. Uh, so, and then his dad wrote him a letter back saying, don't become a rock singer. That's not the way forward with your life. You have a college degree. What are you doing? You dirty hippie, all that kind of stuff. Um, right, right. Honestly, from what I gleaned from the article I was reading, it wasn't like a particularly mean letter, just a like standard, I'm a dad in 1965 or 1966, I guess it would have been at that point. And I think being in a rock band is stupid. Not like a, you know, fuck you and all that kind of, yeah. Yeah. But Jim took it very personally and also potentially had a pretty strained relationship with his family already because he just immediately decided to cut off contact. Yeah, he told people they were dead. Yes, okay. So, So he never spoke to his dad again. He... I exchanged some letters with I think a couple of his siblings and I think talked to his mom at some point she wanted to come to a concert and he wouldn't talk to her but he did give her seats um at the show but like hmm. so unclear but it never talked to his dad again in his life um and yeah for the promotion of their first album they like got interviewed by Electra Records so that they could write their little biographies for press releases and stuff and he said his parents were deceased and yeah. apparently because it was again the 60s where it's not like someone would have Facebook or some shit. A bunch of his friends just thought he was an orphan the entire, like for years because they, they had no way of knowing he had parents and he told everyone they were dead. Um, but apparently his parents took it or 
kept it from his family or his dad and mom kept it from his family that he was in a rock band uh to the point where his siblings had no idea until the first album came out and like kids would show up at school and be like is your brother on this album cover (laughs) (laughs) and they were like fuck yeah he is holy shit okay it's definitely jimmy that's what jim's up to yeah yeah damn the last i heard he just got arrested at a football game and now he's in a rock band so pretty pretty wild stuff from Pretty wild, wild behavior. stuff. Yeah, man. that's right. So, so huh. that's some yeah some some uh, loose ends from the first out or first episode. We can wrap up there. But uh, like I said this before, this podcast is nothing if not tying oh, yeah. up loose ends. That's right. Not a whole lot ends up, is is happening in their career right now. They're doing a lot of touring and you know making a name for themselves. They're touring all over the country, going on every TV show they can. Oh, we already talked about Ed Sully Sullivan, uh, right. their appearance there. They pre-recorded an appearance for this show called the Jonathan Winters Show, another like variety show. Um, so they pre-recorded it, and then the night it was supposed to air, they were playing a live show, and they paused their show in the middle of their set to have a TV wheeled on stage so that they could watch their performance on TV, wow. which is either very cute or very funny performance art, and either way, I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah that's really awesome like that's it's either a like funny commentary on like we're gonna force this crowd to watch us on tv while we're standing in front of them live on stage yeah and or they were just into it and wanted to see themselves enough that they didn't care and either and way the, i i fucking love either it. way that's very funny <laughs> it's fantastic um, and my the best part about that is i don't think they made tvs bigger than like 10 inches right in so 60s. no one outside of like the first couple rows would be able to see shit and no one would be able to hear anything either Oh no! Like they would just be standing, and you'd be able to hear like, you know, like just nothing. <laughs> so pretty great. Um, so they took a break from touring in spring 1967, like I said, to get back to Sunset Sound Studios to record their follow-up to capitalize off of the white-hot uh, "Light My Fire," a huge single for them, Electra's first number one single. Two good puns, Pete, because they're a white band That's right. and their songs about fire. <laughs> Uh, so they ended up, uh, adding, so on the first album, this is another kind of potentially interesting thing. The first album they recorded without any bass at all. They just recorded with right. Ray Manzarek doing the, the keyboard bass. And then after Which... they were done with their sessions, Rothschild felt like they needed a little actual bass. So he got a bass player to play on like four or five songs or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And who apparently uh, was one of the Wrecking Crew guys. Not one we've talked about before, but a guy yeah. from the Wrecking Crew who he called in. So anyway, so they come back to do this album and uh, Paul either convinces them or just orders them or whatever to have a bass player just in the studio with them the whole time. So they get a session guy to come stand in there and play bass the whole time. They Live, they continue doing the keyboard bass, but at least Manzarek in later interviews has said like, I understand that the keyboard bass doesn't show up on recording as well. So like it worked for us live. Cause we didn't want to have this fifth dude hanging around, but yeah. Fuck um, that guy. Yeah. But a fifth uh, guy. No, yeah. unheard of. So I heard that they, yeah, they got the guy from speaking of that thing you do. They got the guy from that thing you do Wolf where, Man. yeah, where he came in the studio and they were like, Ray's like, but can you really play what I play on the keyboard? And he went, and he was like, okay, fine, cool, Wolf. You know what the best part about that move, that scene in that movie is? He plays something crazy, but the mm-hmm. entire time the bass player's been like, doom, 
doom doom yeah doom, exactly doom. <laughs> for all of the songs i know that's the, i think that's the joke is that jimmy's so is it jimmy is the lead singer is so yeah. like full of himself that it's like can you even play our songs and it's like no they're not hard dude it's just standard like kind of dude, blue, 60s blues we're playing rock. bass in the 60s like yeah. none of it's hard so um uh. yeah so anyway so but they do they continue this for their studio sessions at least throughout their career uh having a session bass player a different one usually every time uh which makes me need to admit and eat some eat some crow here that I think I said in the first episode, one of my main problems with them is that they didn't have a bass player, and I love bass, but apparently all their studio albums except one have a bass player on them, so I'm an idiot mm. and should have yeah. listened to any of their music without just assuming, you know. Well, I didn't know either because, like, I don't remember it, and I've listened to The Doors, so, like... Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. We'll see uh, We'll see how it is on future albums, but at least on this album, there's a lot of great bass lines here, so, I mean, we'll see. That's what so, you get when you get a session guy. You get really good. Yeah, right. Points. So they upgrade from a four track to an eight track this time, uh, mm-hmm. which allows them to use what their Wikipedia calls like expanded instrumentation, which two, they use two new instruments on one song each. Jim <laughs> plays the Moog on the title track and uh, Manzarek plays, I think, harpsichord. No, no, no. Marimbas on a song. Huh? Yeah. 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 Um, so, but it does allow them to do what they mostly use the eight track to do. Very inspired by Sergeant Pepper, is to do a lot of just sounds, basically. Like they'll go record field sounds and like tape loop them in the background. They do a lot of like backwards looping and stuff like that. Um, so they have a lot of fun just messing around with the eight track in that way and adding layers of like weird tape noise and stuff, but not really that much oh. added instrumentation. Well, are they a psychedelic band? They are PJ. They're what you would call okay. art rock, dramatic oh. rock. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. that that makes sense then that they would do spooky backwards vocals. And... That's right. So the album art. Oh, and they're one of the first groups to use the Moog. By the way, first rock groups at least on on Interesting. record. The <coughs> album art, uh, which is this street scene with like a bunch of like kind of circus performer looking people. It's a really good. Cover. It's pretty cool. They shot the, they took the photo in New York. The photography couldn't find all the street performers that they wanted in the photo. They only could find like, I think there's five of them on there. And so they had the two little people that they hired. There's, if you, it's a gatefold. So if you open it up, it's like a wide shot with more people on the back. But so they couldn't find everyone they wanted. So the photographer's assistant stepped in to be the juggler. And I assume just fake juggled. Yeah. Just threw the balls up in the air at the right time. And, and then the, the guy. 60s, I feel like everybody could juggle in the sixties. <laughs> everybody could play accordion and juggle. That That's right. It. And then the guy in the back playing the trumpet was a taxi driver who they gave a five spot to, to stand in the back and pretend to play the trumpet. Uh, that's awesome. Which is pretty great. So this and is then an incredible album cover though. I really like it's it. It's super cool. It reminds me kind of of between the buttons, just in terms of being very psychedelic and strange, and because like the color scheme is kind of the same too. It's like very yeah. blue and black. Um, and kind of dark and moody and then the also the album name and artist name is really hard to find just like between the buttons i see it is a poster on the wall like in the background is a poster for the doors it looks like you know a concert poster and then it's got a little sticker or like thing slapped on at the bottom that says strange days yeah it's really good i really like subtle things like that plus 
this it's very like this is your thing where the album name is diegetic in the photo yeah i love that um but also it's like a very it reminds me of like a pink floyd album cover like it's very like yeah it's artsier than most were at the time you know Um, yeah but in like a really whimsical way it's it's cool i like it yeah it is i really i like it too i it's i feel like I feel like I shouldn't like it. I don't know. Like on first glance, I don't like it, but I do. We're gonna get a tattoo of that little fella, aren't we? No, no, PJ. We are, we've already gone over this with the with the little person on the cover of uh, Exile. Exile on Main Street. I just want a little person tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, say that. Did we get that clean? <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. Uh, well, okay. time to get into our next segment. Let's do it. Once upon a time, you dress so fine. A newly recurring segment, Rolling Stone Review Corner, where we talk about the Rolling Stone magazine, not the band, not uh, the band. review. Or the song. We'll, we'll see if there's a Rolling Stone band review of any of these albums, but... Rolling Stone magazine <laughs> we'll review, uh, original review of the album we're talking about. So because I think I think we're in a period here where we're gonna basically get every album we're gonna talk about from here on out uh, reviewed in Rolling Stone. So yeah. Um, so here we go. So the review of Strange Days was written uh, November of 1967. It's they're always, especially in the 60s, it's always weirdly long after the album comes out whereas now it's like they get the albums early so they write it the day it comes out or it's released the day it comes out um and it does not say who wrote it interestingly on rolling stone it doesn't have the author listed uh which is annoying because sometimes if you know the author you know what kind of review it's going to be <laughs> yeah um so but it is for for rolling stone in the 60s it is an amazingly positive review the first wow. sentence is, the doors are an amazing group. <laughs> yeah. So basically they go on, it's not so much about the album. It's more obsessing about the idea that the doors are more performance art than like rock music. Okay. I yeah. hate that take. I really don't <laughs> like that. Okay. So let's see. They are violently anti-commercial in their stance and their approach. And yet the finished product is highly commercial. And it would also appear that Jim Morrison is making a direct appeal. Stop right there. Stop right there. They're anti-commercial, but they did a Ford Motor Company ad. In their in their stance, PJ. They're they're hippies. They're anti-capitalist. I assume they're anti-commercial. They think you should take LSD and drop out, tune in and drop out, or whatever. Um. It would appear Jim Morrison is making a direct appeal to the pubescent market, but upon closer examination, it turns out he's not. Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, a guy in 1967 saying, I understand the real meaning behind the poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, But you don't understand it like yeah. I understand it. Yeah. So this is near the end of the review. As was strongly hinted in their first album, the Doors conceived their efforts primarily in terms of drama rather than in terms of music. The music is not meant to be particularly virtuosic or experimental. It's played to be dramatically meaningful. Before they formed as a group, the Doors were students at the UCLA Drama School. Um, so Was beginning that true? with all of them, 
Uh, yeah, that it must be, I assume, but also early Rolling Stone could have a lot of weird mistakes, so maybe not. Yeah. We know at least two were, but... Uh, rock and roll has become increasingly visual. Jimi Hendrix and The Who seem almost primitive next to the doors, though. Rock and roll has become theater. So I'm sorry. Read that sentence again. <laughs> rock and roll has become theater, which Before is that. really funny in 1967 compared to what it's going to be in, like, 1977. <laughs> Or even any of the 80s, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But uh, read that thing about how it sounds old fat. What was that? Uh, rock and roll, or Jimi Hendrix and the Who seem practically primitive next to the doors. Wow. Yeah. That's maybe the worst take I've ever heard. Well, I mean, we haven't watched any videos of them live yet, to be fair. Potentially live, maybe they're, you know, a force to be reckoned with. I, uh, we will see. But Many the people. Who? Here's what, Here's where they keep going. Yeah, I think this might be pre-Who being crazy, though. I mean, crazy. like, they've smashed up their instruments and stuff so far, but, like, their Moon concept albums explosive and stuff in his out. drum sets pretty yeah, early true. on. Many people don't care to see Jim Morrison making it with his microphone in the manner of Mick Jagger, nor do they especially want to watch him writhing on the floor. <laughs> if they don't, then they suggest he's selling out to commercialism, has an old-fashioned concept of rock and roll or something. However, what's actually taking place on stage and what Morrison is doing is about 3,000 years old-fashioned and very contemporary in approach. Music is very sensual and is particularly obvious in rock and roll. Morrison is just not making any bones about it. He's doing what comes naturally. So, he wow. fucks is what he's saying. <laughs> this guy this guy obviously fucks. That guy. This is big he... dick energy before big dick energy existed as a phrase. That guy's had a few ladies on his roof. Yeah, that's right. So they do, they go into more detail about the album in the middle here. I'm not going to do that much just because we're about to give our track by track. Uh, actually, I'll save their summary of the album for after the album comes out because I think okay. it'll fit in with, uh, and I read this, by the way, after I had, I read this like before we started recording. So yeah. I didn't, my opinion is not coming from Rolling Stone, but I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with their with their opinion on this album, actually. So I'm going to save it okay. to use as part of my summary. So at the end, are we going to give our opinions and then we'll read the Rolling Stone review? Sure. Because I sure. really like that. Sure. I really yeah. like that. Well, uh, let's so take a little break before we get into the album, Pete. That's, yeah, that's a great idea, PJ. We'll come back with our track by track. And welcome back to the 27 Club. Let's get into Strange Days, PJ. It was released in September 1967. Uh, it peaked at number three, so it did pretty good, but was stalled out at number three and came down on the charts very quickly because their first album was so popular, people just kept buying that one instead of the second album. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And part of it, I think, is that they did not have as big of a hit on this album, like Light My Fire was a huge hit and then this album uh let's see people are strange was the first single went to number 12 and then love me two times was the second single went to number 25 so i think yeah people just like they yeah. kept buying the first album the second album they didn't get it for some reason 
uh, and it was kind of turned into a forgotten album because of this. Another contemporary uh, review of the album that I read made an interesting point uh, that their album sales in the UK weren't really huge until their third album because uh, their first album didn't sell that well. And so then the second album really didn't sell that well. And then when their third album came out, for whatever reason, people didn't go back like into the discography. Mm. Like their their other albums didn't huh. have an increase in sales when their third album came out. Their third album basically was just treated as the first one. So this huh. kind of became like a forgotten album a little bit in the Doors discography. And I found a few contemporary reviews that qualified it as like a hidden gem or just, you know, the one you forget about kind of album. Yeah. Um, huh. Okay. So, which is interesting, uh, you know, as someone who never listened to the Doors before, I had no idea. But um, yeah, there we go. I so mean, let's, I've certainly uh, never listened to this album all the way through. So there you go. Yeah, and you're and you're a Doors fanatic. Hey, let's not go there. So the first track, uh, self-titled, with Jim Morrison playing the Moog and in the intro here, "Strange Days." This is spooky. I love this intro. It is very spooky. And like very like 1960s arty, but in a way I really enjoy it. Like not dated, but, or it might be dated, but it's fun dated. Not bad dated. Uh, This would be a perfect one to have my MIDI keyboard on, Pete. Yeah, I know, right? I could play along with the Moog. Also, uh, Larry something? What is his name? Doug Lubon, the session bass player, already earning his money. This is a great bass line in this song. This really sets the tone for the rest of the album. And I agree. When a song can do that, like right out of the gate, I'm a fan. I agree. It's It feels a little bit more... I think we talked about it on their first album about like they come out of the gate strong in that I feel like you get a sense of who the doors are. Although I wouldn't say that album as a whole is very strong. But this album, I think, right. even more so comes out of, like, it's even stronger in that, like, you come out and it's like, you know who the doors are and you know what this album is going to be, as opposed to the first album where it felt more all over the place. Yeah. Like, this album makes this kind of statement of purpose and sticks with it the whole time, which is interesting. Yeah. It's, I don't want to, PJ, I don't want to get too crazy here, but it's almost sort of a proto-concept album. About how well, strange the days are. And how people are strange. Sometimes people are strange. It is, I mean, it does have kind of the tone of a concept album. Like, I'll I mean, give them that. Look, yeah. if we're going to call Pet Sounds a concept album, I think this counts as a concept album. <laughs> Here's my, yeah, my thing about Pet Sounds is they didn't, they cover a song on that. Yeah. So, I think you can it's cover not, a song on a concept album if it fits within the concept. So. Why the fuck not? Okay. That's fair, but... This part's good. Yeah. Like, I like it's so spooky and moody, but they still take a little detour to rock, you know? Which I think is a hallmark of the... Like, this album rocks in a way that the first album doesn't, but this album's also much darker and moodier and, like, quieter than the first album. It's... Yeah. This album is much more diverse and eclectic and yet much more focused, to my mind. I I, th- I think you're right. I think it's certainly much more focused. Um, I do have a question for you. Sure. Um, Love to answer. Are... Oh, good. Because usually you're the one asking the questions as a journalist and all that. That's right. Um, have you ever listened to the album 
Um, Dead Man's Bones. No, I'm I'm aware of it, but I've never heard it. It's really good. Um, I also really like Ryan Gosling. Um, yeah. I think he's one of the most handsome people, but then also a really good actor. Yeah. Uh, but he is also a really talented musician, and he has a like Halloween concept album. Mm-hmm. And this like. They remind me of each other so much, and I really love his Halloween album. And yeah. I think I just like spooky music because yeah, I I like this song too. This one's great. I love like this song. Yeah, it comes off so moody and like very minor key, but then once it gets into it, we'll we'll hear it in yeah. just a moment. I will say this is not this is not just like an anytime listening album I wouldn't say yeah I feel like you gotta be in the right mood to put this album on and it's a spooky mood see but then once the keyboards come in they're kind of bouncy and like the clean guitar like it and then it, it like lightens up the the minor you know darkness of it the minor key darkness yeah. of it and that little riff like that is not like a dark song riff you know so no, it's but they, like they're like, doing a good job at, at like lightening up this dark, the, heavy the song. factor. Yeah, yeah and making Ooh. it more listenable. Yeah. Also, when we get to the guitar solo, I don't remember exactly when it is in this song, but it's incredibly, it's perfect clean guitar tone. It is the best clean guitar tone I've heard in a while, man. It's wild. How just, like, bright and ringing and beautiful it is. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you, PJ. I will say, though, I was surprised at how much I liked this album or found myself enjoying it in different circumstances though. So yeah, like this week, here's the guitar solo. I can hear that Jose Feliciano yeah, right? uh, inspiration. Yeah. I love that tone. It's so gorgeous. Well, I think he can pull it off because he's a classical guitarist. You I know? think so. Yeah. So this album, it's I started really listening to at the beginning of the week. It was very rainy here. And it was like, oh, this is a perfect rainy day album. Holy cow. Like, this is, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, like, a couple days later, it, it got really nice toward the end of the week. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to have trouble listening to this album more in time for the show. Because it's, like, sunny and, like, 60 out. I don't want to listen to that dark album. But I listened to it when I went on a walk in the sun one day, and it actually really worked for me. Just because it made me notice how not dark a lot of the instrumentation is and stuff, even though like a lot of these songs are in a minor key and the lyrics are kind of dark. Um, now, but it, it made it work for me in both circumstances. So, yeah. Let me ask you this: Are you uh, are you wearing big over-the-head earphones while you're taking these walks and like looking up at I'm the sky, not. just kind of go... being in people's way? Or <laughs> yes, yes. I'm sitting on my roof. Oh, uh, no, yeah. I go AirPods. All right, here's Love Me Two Times. This also written by Robbie Krieger. Man, he's written the best. Two, I mean, two of their hit singles so far. Yeah. And this song, two of their I fucking four love singles. this song. This one's great. Another fantastic bass line and very groovy guitar lick from Robbie Krieger here. Robbie really like makes the clean tone that I hate work so well yeah. within a mix. One vote today. And then it goes into yeah, really fantastic. 
This song is really incredible. Yeah. There's a great quote from Rayman Zarek. I'm going to paraphrase it, but who is like interviewed and they're talking about this song and they ask him what love me two times means. And he says, I don't know. It's either two orgasms or love and loss. Either one. <laughs> really fantastic. Yeah. Rayman Zarek is really funny in interviews. Yeah. Uh, Krieger like apparently. Even, oh, go ahead. Uh, even as an older guy, yeah. like you'll hear him talk about stuff and it's really funny. That's awesome. Yeah, this to me is like break on through, but I think better done. It's at least better recorded. The, this album, you, we were talking about people's sophomore albums, like they have more budget, yeah. they do better recording. I don't think that's even necessarily what they did here. They did have the eight track, but it's way better recorded, and that just makes everything punch yeah. a little bit more. Is that more a harpsichord? Like, I think it's just the keyboard. Let me double check if that's okay. credited. Just here. like a harpsichord setting or something on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He's not credited, just with keyboards. Uh, so okay. Yeah. Well, it's super cool. It is cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. This is great. So I will say, like at this point in the album, I'm the first album felt like it was very much the Jim Morrison and Ray Manzarek duo with friends, <laughs> like. Yeah. And then this one, it like Krieger steps up to be an incredibly like por- important part of their sound to me. Like he yeah. overshadows Ray Manzarek a bit on this album to me. Not in a bad way, yeah. but just like it feels like he stepped up to the plate with his guitar lines here to be. And he's just an incredible guitarist. Yeah. Um, every I think every song I wrote, great guitar line. Like every single one has yeah. some awesome guitar work happening. And Maybe on the then, first album, I like barely noticed the guitar, you know. So. Yeah. Well, when um. Oh, what's the producer's name? It's gonna drive me crazy. Rothschild. Uh, Paul Rothschild. Yeah, when Paul Rothschild took over for Janice. Yeah. It became a little bit more guitar heavy as well. True. Yeah. So I don't know. One football today. Yeah, this song is amazing. And um, I like how I like his vocal take on it quite a bit. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um. Jake is gonna make fun of us for how much we're liking the Doors. Yeah. I don't know. I like. We talked last album about his vocals being a little underwhelming but on this one i think he does a good job of using his like limited range but still being like a good rock vocalist everything oh this one's good Uh, everything in this album fits in the mix so well because you're right it was very morrison uh manzarek heavy on the last one but now they're like on it equally as much and doing the same things but it's just like in the mix so much better agreed um Okay, so the little woos and like slide guitar line in the background are so 60s pop, but like, but yeah. so excellent. And like, especially like on, yeah, like in a Doors Out where it's like, yeah, this kind of take off, like what if 60s pop, but it's all about depression and, you know, whatever. Someone wanted to kill themselves, I assume. I don't know. Yeah. It's Jim Morrison. Nobody, uh, nobody uses the reverse guitar effect anymore, I feel like. Yeah, the reverse tape sound that runs through. It's the whole song. It's so great. It's such a cool, like, kind of extra rhythm track almost happening. Yeah, I should say, it does, it it gets used in hip-hop. True. But, like, nobody in rock music uses it anymore. Yeah. If this was, like, five years later, they would have used a theremin for that instead of the, like, guitar. Yeah, probably. Here's our first, I think our first uh, glimpse of uh, the slide guitar, which will show up all over the back half of this album. 
Yeah. Robbie Krieger plays a lot of slide guitar. Yeah, this is a good song this too. Is, yeah, I can groove out to it. It's not the best one so far, but it's a. Uh, but so it's not far, a at all. not a bad song on the album. No. Well, right. we got to get to track five. Horse Latitudes. Talk about bad songs. Right. There's a there's a reason. So I knew when I saw the name Why? of this song. Yeah. I no. wasn't gonna like it, but I didn't know how I was not gonna like it. There's a reason I said so far, not a bad song on that last one, Pete. When the still sea conspires in armor and her sullen and aborted currents breed tiny monsters. Is that where Lady Gaga's fans come from? Yeah, yes. The tiny monsters. Oh, I forgot this was just the the um, monologue that Gene Wilder does on the boat in Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, look, it might be great poetry, but I, on any album in any context, do not want to hear a spoken word song. Yeah. Ever. Hey, Jim, just make the album nine songs. Yeah. Just ever. Well, yeah, and it's short, and it's like, it must have been really important to them, but I guess at least it's short. That's really the only good thing about it. All right, so here's Moonlight Drive. So these lyrics... and First this, song with an actual piano. Yeah. These lyrics were um, among the poems that Jim showed Ray Manzarek on the beach. So this they did a couple demos of this like early, early on, but it didn't show up on an album till, till now. I will say I don't love this song, but the slide guitar is really good, and the guitar solo yep. is fantastic. So it's worth listening to, but not the best. I would say this is maybe the weakest song so far for me. Yeah, they, they did themselves a disservice putting Horse Latitudes right before this as well. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they could have ordered it differently to where this song would have maybe felt a little bit more interesting, but yeah. I also, you're right, it's like... I love that guitar, though. Slide guitar during this part. I mean, he's just playing with it, which is fun, you know? Yeah. It's also just interesting hearing slide guitar not explicitly blues. Like, it's a yeah. fun kind of change from how we've heard it so often in our show yeah Particularly I mean this is definitely recently. a bluesy song but this this rips ass I mean kicks ass and it rips it rips and kicks ass yeah <laughs> Ooh. I think we can move on though to people are strange that's the best part of that song i would say 
personally. Yeah. But it's a really cool part of that song. Speaking of great guitar lines, I love this arpeggio guitar line here. Yeah. Or finger-picked guitar line. And that, like, ragtime piano. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, you had heard is... this song before, right? Yes. This is a song where both Raymond Zarek and Robbie Krieger are, like, doing the best they possibly can. Because Raymond Zarek's got the sweet ragtime piano, Krieger's got the great guitar line, and then here... When Manzarek's playing like the the delay keyboard line and oh my god it's so good. Yeah, when he backs off of that like organ a little bit and just uses it when he needs it, it's yes. like yeah. And the guitar solos, or all the guitar lines are great here. Which I mean, this is a song I've heard a million times, but I've yeah. never like very intentionally listened to it. It's a good one. I don't want to get like, I, I I mean, I don't think this is crazy, but like the Doors are maybe the first group we have done aside from the Beach Boys where they remind me of the Beatles a lot. And like this song very much feels like it could be a Beatles song to me in like a good way. Like it's it's got, I think, all the greatness of a, of a Beatles song here. I wouldn't maybe go that far, but I would say you can kind of hear elements of it. You yeah. Know? I feel like songwriting style and then just in terms of the... It's kind of circusy, you know? The instrumentation's really excellent, but I don't know. So this song is, yeah, I'd heard this song before. This is one of the, like, three Doors songs I'd heard. And it's one of my favorite songs of all time outside of the Doors, you know? So I'm gonna... Yeah. Huge fan of this one. And this is maybe the only song... Just to maybe before the next song comes up. This is the only song, at least so far that we've heard, where I actually am like enjoying and really listening to the lyrics, which part of that, I guess, is just that I've heard this song so many times. But well, I feel like it's the first Peter, one. People come out in the rain. People come out in the rain. It's the first one where his like poetry actually crosses over with like. I don't know, kind of feeling, not feeling like ethereal and like if you're on drugs, you get it. But if you're not on drugs, you don't like it's just actually more straight up to me. And like, I think well written, like there's a lot of turns of phrase that I really like in that song. So it's very nice when you can have poetic lyrics without it sounding too poetry like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think they like really... Yeah, got got right on the line with that, and I think it's good. Yeah, yeah I it's I would I mean we'll see obviously as we get into their discography more, but this is I think the water the high water mark for me of Jim Morrison like writing really really good lyrics, but that aren't yeah too out yeah. there or just obnoxious. So. Yeah. Um, this next song I'm gonna say it right now, fucking best bass on the album. Best guitar on the album. My eyes have seen you. Uh, this was also an early, early Doors song that never made it, or that didn't make it to an album until now. I'm a, a sucker for when a guitar, yeah, yeah. fantastic when a guitar, guitar and a bass lit. are playing the same. Yeah. I don't really want to talk until after the guitar solo. Yeah. 
Slavit immediately is just like racing uphill here. Alright, here comes this guitar solo by Robbie Krieger, man. Fucking hell. I'm like... God damn. I We just talked about Jimi Hendrix, and I'm having my mind blown by a Robbie Krieger guitar solo <laughs> on this song. Like, that is that is an amazing guitar line, man. See, I could tell this was early Doors because of the, like, the lyrical content, how it's mostly them saying, my eyes have seen you with, like, yeah. a verse, you know? Yeah. But then you can tell it was recorded later because it sounds good. It sounds great. I love the fuzzy guitar tone. Um, I this, I, you know this like most albums. This album took me a couple like listens to get kind of into, and this is a song that like really broke broke the album open for me. Where it was, I was so impressed by it that it's That's like fuck. I gotta like that rest of this album's gotta be decent if this album or if this song's so good. See, I think this song is good, but it's not like one of the incredible ones on the album for me. That's interesting to me. This I think it's good, but I mean, People Are Strange, like I said, is like already one of my but like this is the best song I think on this album that I'd never yeah, to me. Hmm. That I'd never heard before. I can see your face in my mind. This one starts pretty slow. Once it gets going it it gets better, but the beginning is a little Now's the perfect time to eat some goldfish. <laughs> That's right. So, like, I like the groove here, and the marimbas are cool. This is another song where, like, on a rainy day, it's really depressing, but on a sunny day, I was like, oh, it's kind of, like, tropical-y with those marimbas. So I, I like the instrumental track. It's very... There's just a lot going on there, but... Overall, I think this is the weakest song on, on the B-side, at least, for me. And maybe the weakest one on the album if we're ignoring Horse Latitudes as a song. Hmm. Moonlight Drive. Yeah, Moonlight Drive's not great, that's true. Yeah, that's true, I wonder. I might like this one a little bit more just because the marimbas are fun. I'm a sucker for some marimbas, man. And this slide is a little bit more fun on this one, yeah. you know? Give me a Cal Chater album and I'm all over it. <laughs> yeah. I really like the the chorus, but yeah. not the verses as Same. much. Yeah. Same, yeah. The verses are just like if they had just figured out something else to do. Yeah. I don't want to get to when the music's over. So this Which is, is a very second... Oh, good. It's a funny name for the last. Oh, yeah. Were you gonna say yeah. the last song on the album yeah. being very? We're, we're two for two. Title. Yeah. yeah. On them doing yeah last songs with like an apt ending song yeah. or name and doing like ten minute long songs for the last one. Yeah. Um, but and I can't stress this enough. This makes the end seem like unlistenable garbage because it is such a good song. 
It almost doesn't feel like it's 10 minutes. Uh, PJ, that is exactly what I have written down. I listened to this album several times without realizing this song was a 10 minute long jam at the end because it just sounds like, like it's just a good, listenable, fun song. Yep. And it doesn't have like crazy long jammy or rapping yeah. spoken word interludes. Well, and, and there, I, there was yeah. there was one Stone song that was kind of psychedelic that I think we said the same thing yeah. about. Where you know, and if the music's it. good, it doesn't yeah. matter how long the song is. And or Hendrix was good about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess. I mean, lyrically, with the end, I don't really care if it's like saying something cooler than this song is. But just, I love that intro. It kind of reminds me of what we're. What we noticed on Band of Gypsies a lot, where they just start with like a punch in the face kind of intro. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's it's so well done for a 10 minute plus song. Once again, Krieger has really cool guitar tone. Yeah. And they do a looped tape guitar solo that's really awesome. Yeah. Krieger, maybe the most underrated door. Robbie Krieger, I mean, so far, he is for me. I, I'm, at least on this album, he is, he's balling out. Well, and he doesn't get worse, so. That's good. <laughs> I'm happy yeah. about that. Yeah, I will say, I mean, just based on, on Googling some reviews, both of the time and contemporary, this album is all over the place in terms of people's reviews. It is either, like, the best Doors album you've ever heard, or it's, mm garbage and there's a reason no one listens to it i was also very surprised i know that you had a at least higher maybe opinion of their first album but like did i then you did maybe not i think what am i trying to say the first album's more like recognized as like an album you should know kind of thing at least from the doors yeah and there were a lot of people who are like their first album is just like a perfect album and it's, it's I don't not. yeah it's really not and also a lot of defenders of the end as a great song and I'm confused by that but okay here's that guitar solo yeah I think I rated it lower than you did I think we might have both done six or something or you might have yeah actually you're right or no we both did six but I think I was thinking of five and then we sure. met in the middle This is way ahead of its time, I this feel like. Um, this, like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like every shoegaze band in the world kind of does this now. Yeah. It's also, what cool. the hell's up with shoegaze? Not a fan. But this is cool. This is good, man. I'm, I'm into this. Um, yeah, it just feels like, even though it's only their second album that was recorded like six months after their first album was recorded by the same people at the same studio with almost the same equipment. I guess they had the eight track and they, right. you know, were, were more into doing some psychedelic stuff, but um, it just feels light years ahead of where they were like, but Absolutely. interestingly, it kind of feels like it's, it's way far ahead, but it also kind of feels like just in terms of songwriting, like they're the at the exact same spot so it just makes it this weird like it almost feels like this is like the alternate universe debut album for the doors where it's like yeah. the first ones 
Yeah, the first one is one start to their career, but this is a different start if they just like were a little more focused and had slightly better recording equipment and stuff. Um, yeah, I because can it's like see what you're saying. I think everything I love about this album really doesn't come down to the guitar or to the songwriting. It's just really about how it's recorded and how much like Robbie Krieger and in some instances Ray Manzarek like step up as musicians. They they, they tuned into their sound a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's it's kind of the classic, I think, so we, band's second albums can either be this huge leap, or I feel like they're just like an alternate version of their first album a lot. Yeah. The Strokes are a really famous example of that, where their first two albums are basically the exact same album, just different songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and this feels a little bit like that for me, where it's like, I, I much prefer this version of like early Doors, however that's going to be. So, I see what you're saying. I agree. Yeah, I do. I do think this is a much better album than their debut. Let's hear a little bit from Rolling Stone. <laughs> so, I once again, I had this opinion before I read the Rolling Stone review. Many of the chord progressions and figures are easily recognizable from their first album, except for the addition of bass. The instrumentation is nearly identical. Though a very logical development, they've improved their original methods and techniques with more effective instrumentation. Um, they've not attempted to make any big changes, but have refined and enriched their previous sound. So yeah, consequently, their agree. new album has all the power and energy of the first disc, but is more subtle, more intricate, and more effective. Which I, I think agree. is a perfect summation of what this album is. is. Yeah. Wow, that is the first Rolling Stone review we have read on the album know, where right? I'm like, shit, they nailed it. They, yeah. they know exactly what they're talking about here. Yeah. And it exactly. didn't say who the author was? No, it doesn't say on, on here. Hmm. So, yeah, I I grooved out hard to this album all week, man. Like, I, I was very into this, and this is, this is kind of what I wanted from the doors honestly like yeah. i was i was wanting to get into them and to really like them and i was i enjoyed the hell out of this what is what's your takeaway pj i you know like i said i don't think it's like an everyday put it on album it's not like a pet sounds where you can listen to it anytime yeah but i think it's a really good album yeah. um especially for like how meh the first album was, you know? Yeah. This is like... Yeah, you're right. It's the same album, just better, and they, like, less annoying, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, some of... Like, yeah. the organ got kind of old on the first one. Yeah. Jim Morrison's kind of vocal take got old, but then they, like... Yeah, it's like they were like, let's remake that, but better. Yeah. You're totally right. You nailed it. But I think it was good. It was a it was a fun listen. Um, yeah. The first time I put it on, I think I was like, okay, whatever. But then um, I think I the second time I put it on, I listened to it like a little bit more intentionally, and I was like, yeah. actually, this has some pretty good stuff on it. So perfect time for you to finish up that thought because we're about to get to one of the cooler parts of this song. Yeah, his rules. It's fucking dope, man. Um, yeah, I, I was very. I, I'm going eight out of ten on Strange Days. I think this is really fantastic and like 
We gave the last one a six. Yeah. I think eight is right. I think yeah. you're right. Like, I for sure will listen to this full album again. It did, though. I didn't get a chance to do it this week. But it did make me want to re-listen to the first one. Because I'm like, you know what? Maybe I was a little too hard on the first one. Like, now that I'm kind of in, quote-unquote, on, like, the Doors sound, maybe I should go back and give the other one another try. I see where you're coming from on that, but I yeah. don't think... You don't think it's going to help? <laughs> no, I mean... Yeah. I think, I think I'm going to be that... disappointed just by, like, the sound quality more than any... Like, I think well, maybe the songs as, will sound a little bit better. As me, somebody... But... Like, I'm more familiar with the Doors than you are, yeah. and, like... You know, True. listening back to it didn't make it better Even, for me. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. You're a you're a different person. Yeah. It's so yeah, really right. good sophomore effort from hell yeah, the Doors. Do you think we could get become the official Rolling Stones podcast? Not Rolling Stones podcast. Rolling Stone podcast. Oh, for sure. There's no way they have a podcast yet. Or like Pitchfork. I, I we should just get some music publication to slap their name idea. on us and uh, yeah. we'll say we review. Albums nobody cares about anymore. <laughs> I mean, so does Pitchfork. They're for like the last couple of years they've been doing like a Sunday I forget what it's called. Something where on Sunday they get like guest writers, sometimes famous, sometimes not, but like guest writers to do like a super long review of like an old album. Um and You know anybody over at Pitchfork Pete? If anybody knows anybody at Pitchfork, no, but I know someone who wrote one of those like Sunday things, like some journalist from Montana who really I think you submit it, like you write the whole thing and then submit it. Um, Can we so, just submit our whole RSS feed to them? I think yeah, I think that's exactly what we could do. So yeah, and you've got real journalistic credits. That's so, so true. Yeah. If anybody knows anybody at Pitchfork, email us at beachboysboys at gmail.com with their contact. Great idea. And email Tell us any friend. of your thoughts and feelings about the 27 Club, The Doors, The Rolling Stones, The Rolling Stone, The Magazine. Go, go rate and review us on iTunes, please. That's right. Sure. And thanks for listening to episode two of The Doors Dudes. We will see everybody next week. Yeah. Through another door Doors. into another room called... Sunrise or whatever the fuck their next album's called. Um, I actually don't remember at all. Um, yeah, and I'll see you in person. That's right. We'll be here in person. Uh, I'll quite literally see you on the other side of that door. Kissing and hugging like adults do when they see each other. And uh, waiting for the sun. I was pretty close. Um, see you next week. Brought to you by the Beach Boys Boys. The song was spooky. This album is spooky. I know. The doors are kind of spooky. There's actually a funny part from the article I found with like a bunch of the stuff about their first album where when Robbie Krieger wrote Light My Fire, he came, he had like the first verse in the chorus or something. And then Jim was like, I can, I think I can write the second verse for you. Like I'll make it about death. And then there's some quote from Robbie saying like, Jim, why do you always have to make it so dark? (laughs) 
which just was a very funny, I feel like I had this image all of a sudden in my head. I could visualize all these people standing around in like 1967 with Jim Morrison, like totally like just on so much acid and so deep into like psychedelic psychedelia and like witchcraft and yeah satanism and everything and then just like this nerdy ucla drama kid with like for all i know he like still has a crew cut or something at this point yeah. and it's just like huh this guy's weird this guy's a yeah. funny fella <laughs> is there something off about this yeah. man <laughs> yeah like yeah very funny all right and well, i want that to be in the podcast in the show now we can put it in i'll edit it in somewhere and PJ, edit that in later, before Rolling Stone talk, or after. Melanie just told me she heard me say what I said about the single ladies thing. Uh, <laughs> and she was like, I was going to bust in and be like, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, you should have. That'd be funny. Um, apparently, I live on a New York street in like 1920. There's always weird shit going on. Right yeah. now, there's a kid... Who's too old for it? Riding a green machine? Do you know what those are? No. They were a big wheel that was popular in oh, like the seventies. Wow, weird. And it's like, where the fuck did he get that from? <laughs> Very odd. I mean, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's always you never know what you're gonna get. Always something like, yeah. uh, like the guy from that thing you do said. Exactly. <laughs>